The Advancing Women in Sport podcast is created on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to Elders past and present. I also celebrate the massive contribution that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island peoples have made to sport, and I acknowledge their contribution across the world. Hey everyone, Michelle Redfern here, your host of the Advancing Women in Sport podcast. This is the podcast about smashing the patriarchy in sport. I know from my work as a diversity, equity and inclusion consultant that it's really important to fix systems and remove barriers that prevent women from all identities from reaching their full potential in the sport industry and of course beyond. The guests on this podcast are game changers. Pardon the pun, actually no pun intended. They are people of different genders, from different places and from different parts of the sports industry. What they all have in common though is that they are agitating, advocating and activating for gender equality in sport. I hope you enjoy it. Hey listeners, welcome back to the Advancing Women in Sport podcast. It's Michelle again. I don't know who else would be here because it's me doing it. But anyway, today I'm thrilled to bits. I'm always thrilled, always excited, but I'm really thrilled to bits today to have Chloe Dalton OAM with me. And I'm making a point of the OAM because... I have been lucky enough here in Victoria, Australia, where I live, to be involved in a couple of initiatives around women being recognised called Recognition Matters and Honour a Woman. And it's really important that when women do receive honours, because they don't receive enough of them yet, we're getting there, but that we do call that out. Your Order of Australia Medal, congratulations, Chloe. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, My pleasure. So about Chloe... She is a three-code elite athlete, so really is the triple threat, as we say, having participated in the top level in AFLW, basketball and rugby sevens. After starting off in the WNBL with the Sydney Uni Flames, Chloe jumped over to rugby, where she played for the Australian Rugby Sevens in 2014. She played again for Australia in the 2016 Olympics, where she and her team won gold, and that where she received her gong for that amazing performance. She's also been recognised as Australia's top rugby sevens player in 2017, winning the Sean Mackay. It's always, you know, whatever I say, it's going to be the wrong one. And then she cross codes again to Aussie Rules, which is my first love, making her debut for Carlton in 2019 and now playing for the GWS Giants. But... That's all great, but what we want to talk about or what I want to talk about today is Chloe's off-field project called the Female Athlete Project. And we can have a quite a conversation about the what, the why, and what's next for TFAP, um, as it's called. So welcome to the pod, Chloe. Thank you so much for having me. And I do feel like, you know, we just had a very, very quick chat before I started recording. I feel like I know you because, of course, I listen to you and Bears every week on TFAP. It's one of my favourite podcasts. And I love it and I particularly love the rap because it, as someone who consumes a lot of stuff and is lives a full and fulfilling life, it's a really nice way to stay in touch with what's happening with women's sport. So tell us about you and TFAP and why it exists? That's a big question, but I'll go back to one of the first COVID lockdowns in 2020. 
and as you mentioned in the intro I've played across three different professional and semi-professional sports now so I've had pretty good experience in terms of gauging what it's like as a female athlete the different conditions that you face the media coverage the access to resources and facilities and I felt really frustrated particularly by that media coverage piece I I would often go down to the beach, grab a coffee in a newspaper and, and just sit there and flick to the back and read about sport. And I get so frustrated when I can't find stories about women's sport. And so I had a chat with my brothers, my older brothers in marketing and my younger brothers a videographer. So I've got a great team around me and, and they just really encouraged me just to do something about it rather than sit there and complain to do something really proactive. And so we started the Female Athlete Project as a podcast in the garage of my parents' home at the time. And I just really wanted to create a space for storytelling. That was the original goal. I think coming back to that frustration piece around the media coverage, if you look at what female athletes are achieving in Australia and beyond on a weekly basis, we never, ever struggle for content. There's amazing athletes doing these incredible things every single week, most days of the week. And Firstly, I wanted to create this space where we could share their stories so that more people could understand what these athletes had been to to get to that point. And I think there's a a great tool there in allowing people to become more invested in sports that they may not have been invested in before. I think one of my favourite things, I love the feedback from people who listen to our podcast, whether it's the weekly wrap or whether it's an interview with an athlete, is say they've never heard of Belle Brockoff, the snowboarder before, and then they listen to the podcast, they hear what she's been through, they hear her injuries, they hear everything she's overcome. Suddenly Winter Olympics are on TV, Belle Brockoff's competing. They can't wait to put it on and watch her and support her. So I think there's this great link between having a knowledge and understanding of an athlete's story and then translating that into that person then becoming another supporter of women's sport. And after... We kind of grew in that space. We started to find the gap for that really up-to-date news and highlights type information about women's sports. So we actually started doing it on our social channels first through Instagram predominantly, just posting. And we, and we started to get really good engagement when we started posting about so-and-so won a world championship. They just won an Olympic title, whatever that looks like. And then we were kind of like, okay, why don't we do a similar format in a weekly podcast so that people can digest it in different ways, whether it's on their morning commute, whether it's when they go out for a walk or whether they do engage via socials. And it's been really cool to see the growth that we've had in that space. And people like you who are regular listeners who consume that content can stay up to date with what's happening in terms of the positive and the great news. But I think there's a lot of different issues that we know that that women in sport and women more broadly are facing every single week. And so it's really cool to move into the space now of of actually having more in-depth discussions about those issues too, so that hopefully people can feel a little bit more equipped with at least some stats or some information or knowledge so that when they go out into their lives, they can chat about it with people in their lives as well. Couldn't agree more. And there's a couple of things that came to mind as you were recounting the purpose as someone who's listened for a while, I, I saw the shift in the style and what have you. And, and I do really appreciate that weekly wrap because it does give me the chance to get a taste of, of a whole bunch of things. And then I can go and look at more. And I think what you've highlighted there is two key things. One is the sheer lack of coverage. There's no lack of content. And my friends over at the Swinburne University and 
the crew at Siren Sport did some some analysis a couple of years ago, which showed that we're still at less than 10% of sports coverage is on, on women's sport. And I hear the arguments like you do, oh, well, you know, there's the, the quality of the game's not very good. Okay, well, part-time athletes, lack of funding, lack of eyes on the game. Well, no one goes because it's not a good quality. Well, hang on a minute. There's a bit of chicken and egg going on here. If we can start getting more eyes on the game because people become aware through your podcast and other mediums focused on amplifying women's sport, you start to get more interest, you start to get more eyes, and it's not just commercial, but the commercial bods start to go, well, hang on a minute, we're onto something here. The investment goes in, pay the women, full-time athletes, facilities, blah, 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 blah. So there's this lovely virtuous circle that can be created simply through amplifying what's already going on out there in women's sport. So I think it's hugely important. Yeah, absolutely. So one of my first sort of themes that I like to discuss is, you know, when did it happen for you? So there are four stages, oblivion, awareness, outrage and advocacy and when it comes to feminism when it comes to advocating for women in sport oblivion is obviously you know, I'm not aware that anything's going on or I'm kind of coasting through life and I'm feeling quite good about everything then you become aware and you go oh geez that's pretty rough oh well crumbs someone should do something about that <laughs> and then there's the outrage or the fury as I now call it because I'm furious constantly which propels many people to take action and then there's the advocacy so using platforms like yours being both your athletic prowess as well as your your media profile and the the podcast to do stuff about it so if I go back to perhaps awareness you've talked a little bit about awareness so in lockdown you went hang on a minute <laughs> I'm sick of opening the paper or flicking to the sports section and going, where's, where's the women? So was that the time that you, you kind of went, okay, I'm, I'm so pissed off, I'm going to do something about this? Or had there, was it a build-up over time? I think it was a build-up. One of the key moments for me was when I was at Rugby Sevens in about 2017 after the Rio Olympics and I got the chance to be an ambassador for Our Watch I'm sure you know, but for people that don't know, um, the organisation that's all about the prevention of domestic violence. And I went through this training day. When I was initially approached to be an ambassador, I didn't feel like I was equipped with the right information or the tools to be an ambassador for something that was a really serious issue. So I I was a little bit apprehensive at the beginning and they just said, come and do a training day. We'll show you how it all works. We'll educate you on it and then you can make your decision from there. And I went through this incredible training day with a lady called Cassie Lindsay, who I believe is now at Geelong doing a lot of work in the diversity and inclusion space. So she's amazing. I'm a huge fan of Cassie. And so I feel like it was a really key moment in my life as a whole, but but the whole education piece around domestic violence, I guess busting some of those myths that exist. Um, There's obviously contributing factors like alcohol, a history of violence, drugs, but the underlying factor being that gender inequality and the power imbalance that exists. And from there, they talked to me about the power of sport in Australian culture. And I knew I'd grown up with it. I grew up in a family on the northern beaches of Sydney that sport was part of every single day of my childhood, my teenage years, and it's part of every single day of my life now. And I knew how pervasive it was in Australian culture already, but to kind of sit there and understand the power that sport actually had to change people's attitudes about where women belong in society. That was a moment for me where I was like, oh, okay, 
I'm not just an athlete who goes out there and plays sport. I actually have the ability, if I so decide, to actually make a change in this space about how people view women. And I think regardless of of whether or not I decided to take on that ambassadorship, which I, I did, I grabbed it with both hands. I was so excited to have the chance to do something like that after that training day. I think regardless, female athletes in that space are actually defying those stereotypes and changing attitudes every day of the week when they're training and playing. But for me, I really wanted to do something more. And so it probably was something over time. And I I felt a little bit restless because I felt passionate about wanting to do something and wanting to use my voice, but I didn't know how to do it. And I remember I went to this dinner with Elizabeth Broderick, who was the sex discrimination officer in New South Wales and an incredible woman who was doing work with the UN at the time. And, And there was a room full of all of these women who worked in sport, a lot of them in diversity and inclusion, a lot of them in trying to progress women's sport. And I met these amazing women and I was like, this is the room of people that I want to be in and I want to be part of this and be proactive. And again, I felt restless because I still didn't know how. I looked at doing some university courses around gender and I thought that might help. And that's when it got to that point, probably a couple of years later during that COVID lockdown and when my brothers and I talked about the podcast at that point in time, it still seemed like a small idea, but I, I felt this real sense of purpose of like, this is it. Like, this is my chance to now put something out there and say, hey, I want to make change in this space. I want to use my platform and use what I'm doing to be able to make some change. Listeners, you can't see me nodding here madly, which is I so resonate with what you're saying because often for many of us there is yeah you've you've had a a lifetime of microaggressions or micro disappointments and there's usually one or two things that catalyze your action and it's it's interesting that you you talk about our watch um, and the impact that aha moment when you realize the impact that sport can have on society because similarly I did a a research paper 10 years ago for my MBA on violence against women and it was a catalyst for me to think oh shivers there's just so much I don't know and this is one of my aha moments to go you know what gender inequality is at the heart of so many different things like you growing up with sport certainly not an elite level like you but sport being ubiquitous in my life and looking at the impact the way people pay attention to our sporting heroes was really that was another aha moment and I looked at my two children my kid now because they're in their 20s and 30s but I looked at the two of them and I thought you know they're not going to listen to someone like me bang on and I could be as you know credentialed up the wazoo but they would look at you or Michael Jordan or name a footballer of any code whatever and if they said something they would pay attention and to turn that outrage into advocacy is what I have seen you do with the work that you're doing and where I want to go now is that you've come up against some really gnarly stuff you've also come up against some just some some plain bullshit and I recall a few weeks ago it's a few weeks ago now you were talking about on the wrap the condition of the facilities when women play football you know and the thing that stood out for me because I know the facility you're talking about we had to be escorted across the ground after the game with towels to have a shower so you call out the BS when you see it 
what backlash do you get, Chloe? It's a really good question. And that's probably been something only in the past 12 to 18 months, I'd say that I've actually started to feel comfortable doing. I feel like a lot of the time throughout my career as an athlete, you're often given your media briefing and and these are the points that you're allowed to talk about. These are the topics you should avoid. Don't go here. Don't go there. Always keep everyone happy. Don't kind of cross that line. And what I've really loved since I've arrived at the Giants has been a real trust from the whole club. I work part-time in the media team as well. And when I'm going to different events, I'll often check in with the media team or with the head of footy or someone at the club and, and have a conversation. And I feel like the Giants trust me and my voice and have actually given me backing to, to use my platform to advocate in that way. And I think there's still a really delicate balance that comes with that. I'm not overly ridiculous most of the time when I speak out on things I try and still do it in a relatively balanced way but I think it's quite interesting on on topics like that I guess probably the first thing that comes to mind in terms of backlash is always the social media whether it's kind of the middle-aged men who are like you don't get enough income and you don't draw enough crowd revenue to be deserving good quality change rooms so when you do then you might get a better change room there's there's that kind of level of backlash and I think it's a tricky thing of, of you just trying to say we're actually getting to the point of almost becoming full-time professional athletes and it's just not good enough to have trained rooms of that standard. So calling it out or calling it in, whatever you want to call it, and the whole theme of this, this season, probably the ongoing of this podcast, is smashing the patriarchy, right? You know, smashing the old boys club. And this is not a, well, it is gendered, but you know, the reality is there are patriarchal standards around sport and sports being built by, occupied by and frankly looked at by men for hundreds of years. And so now we've got arguably relatively new themes with, with women coming in. But so what we're doing is really trying to take on some of those long held beliefs, long held standards. And when people are pushing back against it, they're usually people who are feeling like, you know, the good old, this is, there's a zero-sum game going on here. If the women win, the men lose, which, of course, is complete bullshit because there's not just one tiny little pie. That There are many, many pies that can be grown and everyone can benefit from it. Listeners, we're recording this in the middle of November 22, and, and typically by the time I get to the end of the year, I don't know about you, Chloe, but I'm usually tired, pissed off and frustrated because I feel like I've been fighting the good fight all year. So apologies if I'm coming across a little negative, but the reality is we have to keep challenging this stuff. How do you do that? How do you do that as an individual? So what are your strategies to challenge some of those ridiculous backlash statements that come from the patriarchal mindset? And how do you look after yourself in doing that? Yeah, I think my overarching strategy when approaching that has been looking at it in three different categories. You've got people who are already fanatic about women's sport. You've got the middle category of maybe the fence sitters who could be convinced they might like sport. They might only like men's sport, but they could be convinced. And then you've got the jerks who go to town on social media. That's in my head how I kind of categorize all three of them. And so in terms of what we do through the Female Athlete Project, we're trying to give the people who crave the information and content 
via our socials and podcasts, give that to that group of, of people who love it and want all of that content. But at the same time, put it out there in a really positive way. So, so probably 90 to 95% of the content that we actually put out through our channels is positive. It's celebrating achievements. It's recognizing incredible athletes. Now, as, as I've become more comfortable and, and my team have become more comfortable in that space, do want to call things out when it's not right. One of the things I've loved, I'm such a nerd with, with all of the data and the research that comes out around when I, whenever I read stuff around women's sport, it, it makes me so happy because that's one thing that I love arming myself with. When I go into a conversation with someone, the example we talked about, someone who might come firing at you on social media. There's a point of, of engagement that I choose. If it's someone who's saying something rude, overly misogynistic, homophobic, anything like that, I block them straight away. But if it's someone who I feel like there's an opportunity to engage in a conversation with and hopefully try and educate them in a way, I'm happy to kind of have a go at putting some thoughts out there and, and trying to educate them one way or another. It's my favorite thing to use information like True North Research. And I love the work that they've done in the women's sports space around the emotional connection that we know that so many female athletes and women's teams have with their fans. We know that that a lot of the women's team have a, a much greater sense of trust with their fans, the level of respect and pride that people have in these women's sports teams because of the way that female athletes carry themselves and the way that that has been able to actually translate into a greater return on investment for sponsors that work with women's sports teams. Like that's some of my favorite data that's come out of true North because that's actually concrete evidence that it's not a charity case to invest in women's sport. It's not just people coming along and doing it for the sake of it. There's actually growing evidence now around the fact that brands and sponsors that get on board with women's sports can actually get a greater return on investment. So I love using things like that to kind of try and, not just prove these people wrong for the sake of it, but I think some of the best moments I've had to tell you a story, an ex-coach I had from a footy team was commenting on one of our social posts one time, going to town kind of, it was, it was pretty full on, but saying that women weren't up to the right standard yet, probably didn't deserve the opportunity to be full-time professional. And I just sent him a private message and kind of had a bit of a discussion to try and give a personal background of, hey, when you were growing up and you were playing footy, you probably had access to X, Y, and Z. This is what majority of the current athletes in the women's side of the program have had access to their entire lives. Now let's look at the comparison between how long the men's and women's competitions have been around, kind of laying it out like that. And we went back and forth a couple of times. And a couple of weeks later, we put a post up on the Female Athlete Project Instagram and there was someone coming on saying a horrible comment. And that coach actually came in to defend women's sport because we had had a a civil conversation where he actually learnt about what it was like and he actually then came in to say to some other guy, hey, hang on a second, it's actually really important you take into consideration these things. So I think that's been one of my favourite stories so far of that education piece rather than doing it from a place of too much anger, which the anger definitely comes out sometimes too. Totally, we're all human. And and so... Listeners, what we've heard there from Chloe is a beautiful demonstration of what we call the movable middle. 
And, you know, there are the evangelists or the fully committed people like Chloe, like me, like others who are advocating on a day-to-day basis. There's the absolute dinosaurs, as I call them, and I always say dinosaurs still roam roam the world. And they are never, ever going to be convinced. And sometimes they're in disguise, but they pretty much show their true colours after a while. And then there's the great majority of people who are what we call the movable winner. Some are, are curious and think, oh, yeah, I could give this women's sport malarkey a go and some are I think you're going to have to convince me and somewhere and there's a spectrum and the job I think what you've highlighted there so perfectly Chloe is from your strategy around engagement is a do I engage this person where are they on the spectrum so let's say fully committed movable middle yes and here's here's what I'll do the other strategy which I learned from Jane Caro years ago about Twitter is block (laughs) delete move on when you when you're dealing with the dinosaurs because they are not going to be convinced and they're spoiling for a fight most of the time Daniel Warby who's one of the women in in siren sport she said mate don't engage don't read the comments just don't engage she said to me years ago anyway so I think that's a great strategy so listeners thinking about who to engage and then how and with what and of course I'm a fan of facts and data but I'm also a fan of stories and I think this is where what you're doing Chloe in so many of your different platforms but in in, particularly with TFAP is telling the stories in a way that people can go oh wow because empathy is this great attribute that will change the world so your coach for example okay so I haven't had your experience, but Shivers, you've just pointed out to me what women's experience is. Okay, I've got some empathy for that. I've just shifted my mindset and you've turned him into an advocate, which is outstanding. And those are the outcomes we're looking for, right? Is to have more people be advocating for 51% of the population to, to do what the other 49% have been doing without question for years. Good strategy. One of the other things you said is when you were recounting your stories is, you know, what do I do about that? Often people get stuck on, oh, yeah, I can see it. I can see it, Michelle G, it's a big problem. And they're all sorts from all walks of life and they go, but I don't know what I can do. I, I, I don't know. You know, it's just such a big problem. So what, what's your advice for people who are going, okay, they might be listening to us, they might be listening to you or watching going, what could I do to really help progress women in sport on and off the field where would be a good start it's funny you ask that question we're prepping for our next merch launch which are invest in women's sports tees and I was actually just writing this little blurb because I was thinking about that exact thing like the the call out to invest in women's sport is is big picture in terms of wanting to address the sponsors and the corporates with the big dollars but I think we can often feel quite overwhelmed as individuals and people who are really passionate about wanting to make change but don't exactly know how to do it. And so what I was thinking about this invest in women's sport phrase was as an individual, you don't have to necessarily invest your money. You can invest your time by watching women's sport on TV. We know that broadcast is the biggest source of income for sporting leagues So as those viewership numbers continue to increase for women's sport, it just provides more evidence of the commercial benefit and and the reason for those bigger broadcast deals. Another great way is to invest your support for female athletes by engaging with them on social media. If you follow them on social media, liking their posts, commenting, growing their following so that they can go out and get 
hopefully deals with brands and, and earn more money if they're not earning enough money through their, their sporting career. I think investing your conversation is a big one in itself. We've chatted about the fact that you can actually go out into whether it's your workplace, whether it's at your home around your dinner table, whether it's in a social setting, there's real power in talking about whether it's talking about the positive stuff about female athletes who are going out there achieving amazing things or, or whether it's actually bringing up issues and topics that that might educate people by you might share your own personal experience of a story. And I think they're kind of just three practical ways off the top of my head that I think it's really cool that people can still support without having to put money forward because you can often feel kind of helpless and you, and you want to do something and you want to help change minds. And I think they're kind of just a couple of simple ways that you can get involved with that. I completely, completely appreciate those very practical tips and they are so true and I like them all. But the one about social media, we know how powerful social media is for women. We also know how toxic it can be. And interestingly, one of my guests coming up, Jacqueline Comer from Arado Labs, she's, they're doing a whole bunch of stuff around artificial intelligence to help women athletes with the abuse they receive online because the data says that the online abuse is highly gendered. So we know that women politicians and women athletes are disproportionately more likely to receive abuse than their male counterparts. And I think this is a broader discussion as well about diversifying our networks. I had an email conversation with a a person this morning who said, Michelle, I have just looked at my network and realised that 70% of my network are like me, middle-aged, white and male. And now I'm going to go through and diversify that and start bringing some more women and other people in. And so we can do that as well. So athletes from all levels of sport, community through to particularly elite to create that following. But it shows, it shows that we've got a following and I think that's that's super important as you said a click to follow a like and a even a comment to say well done or whatever you might think that it's a drop in the ocean well the ocean is made up of drops so it, it absolutely makes a difference and the other thing too is take a pledge folks like just say for the next three months I'm only going to watch women's sport on telly <laughs> I don't have to pledge anything <laughs> Nah, well, I don't, so that's an easy one for me. But, you know, first six months of this year, I'm only going to watch women's sport on TV. Two things are going to happen for you. A, you're going to find some stuff that's really cool. And B, you're going to find out how difficult it is to find it. And you can start making some noise. So, you know, again, it's, it's that awareness. So they're really great practical tips, Chloe. All right. We've got to remain hopeful. I'm feeling much more hopeful after this conversation than I was an hour ago because I was feeling a bit grumpy um, about the state of the world. So thank you for that. But... Right now, I'm 57 years old, so I've been feeling like I've been on a wave for a little while, but I feel like women's sport is on this inexorable wave of success. And I feel very hopeful about it, despite the fact that we get some setbacks. What are you hopeful for right now about women's sport? I think I feel really, really hopeful and excited about the potential of women's sport and we're seeing consistent examples of where it's going we're not just seeing one-off selling out of stadiums and all these people tuning in to watch games I, I watched the rugby world cup on the weekend New Zealand played England over in Auckland at Eden Park Stadium it was 
quite incredible. So I, my partner's a Kiwi and I've never supported New Zealand in my life because they've always been huge rivals because I grew up watching rugby and then played rugby for Australia. So never in my life have I ever supported New Zealand, but I was screaming at the television for the Black Ferns to win because this moment, like when both New Zealand and England walked out in in this really like Eden Park is a really historic stadium for rugby. And Eden Park's full on, it's right? Full on. Yeah, yeah, and they, they kind of talk about the yeah, curse of yeah. Eden Park. Like Australia hasn't won there in decades. Like it's a really special place. But to see, I actually sat there looking at the TV, and my eyes started welling up with tears when I saw these women walk out in their teams, and and the sound of the crowd was overwhelming. And I think for me, I had this moment of you could see it on their faces because so many of those women would have grown up and, and they would have been told that there wasn't a spot for them. They didn't belong in women's sport, in, in sport. They didn't belong in rugby. Girls didn't play rugby. Women didn't play rugby. And then when they started to play, they would have been told it's not good enough. No one wants to watch you. No one cares about your sport. So for them to get to the point where there was 42,000 people in that stadium cheering their brains out for New Zealand to win the World Cup. It just, for me, filled me with so much hope from a rival country, and that was pretty big for me. But I think we've, we've <laughs> seen so many different examples of things like that. I, I can't wait for the uh, Football World Cup next year to be on home soil. We've seen the Barcelona women's football team sell over 90,000 tickets on multiple occasions because their organisation put really practical steps in place. I think they had four practical steps like marketing great really practical so that people know the athletes sell the tickets for ten dollars so that people can come along and family can access put it at a time where families can bring their kids along i can't remember what the fourth one was but they just did really practical things and they sold out these sold out these stadiums and kind of sets that precedent of other sports can do the same thing so i think i'm really excited for the potential that exists in that space because of the flow on effects from a commercial perspective that follow on from that because if they're selling, they're actually making money from ticket sales. They're going to get bigger broadcast deals. The partners are going to want to get, continue to get on board for bigger money. And there's then a flow on effect for the conditions and the standards that the female athletes get in terms of their payment and access to, to medical resources and facilities. And that can hopefully then flow on through to the grassroots level for the sustainability of the sport in the future. So I feel like, you know, because this, this podcast and the work that I do around, you know, my advocacy work around women in sport is very unashamedly aimed at administrators. Um, you know, I don't need to convince any more women in sport about the need for women in sport advocacy, but it's very much aimed at administrators and giving them practical advice, whether they're community sports administrators right or right through to the elite. You've outlined something there that's super important yeah the four steps um that, that were taken by barcelona but the reality is this is about being deliberate right being deliberate about the fact that women's sport exists and there is a huge opportunity for all of the stakeholders involved the people and the people being the athletes and all of the folks in, in the organization the shareholders of the organization whether there are you know whatever and of course the the public the viewing public if there's a sporting administrator right now, a CEO or a board director, whatever, listening right now, what's the one thing you want them to do right now to level the playing field for women in sport? I want all domestic women's leagues in this country to be full-time. Okay. That's, that's clear. Yep. 
that's a big goal. It's not overly a practical one if there's a CEO listening right now that they can click their fingers and make it happen. But I think that's the biggest thing that I'm advocating for across multiple leagues. We've seen the growth of NRLW, A-League women, AFLW. I'd love to see athletes in this country have the opportunity to be full-time athletes and to devote all of their time and their energy into their sport. Outstanding. Yeah, violent agreement, uh, as always. But so, Chloe, I really appreciate the way you're looking at the system of sport and that you are really using your incredible and impressive platform to amplify the voices of women in sport, women in sport more broadly, but also those system level barriers that still exist for women and their sports to be considered as equal to, valued and respected as men's sports. So, Chloe Dalton, keep keep doing what you're doing and thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the two-way conversation and, and the level of knowledge and understanding that you have about such a complex issue. It's I often come onto podcasts and just chat about my sporting career, so this was um, this was a really enjoyable chat, so thank you so much. Thanks for listening, folks. I hope you got a lot of actionable insights out of that interview. You know what you can do now to be a person who's smashing the patriarchy in sport? You can leave a five-star rating. You can leave a review. But importantly, please share this podcast amongst your family, your friends, your colleagues, and pretty much anyone who's involved in the system of sport because together we can close the global leadership gender gap in sport.